Welcome everybody to this podcast special um, on early language development and we're really excited that in this special we get to hear about lots of fantastic programs that support young children in developing their early language. We get to hear about lots of really interesting practices and we also get to reflect on some of the challenges of the last year or more and how we're being adapted to those, how we're supporting children um, during this time and how we move forward and, and we flourish with this really crucial you know, work really to support young children in developing their language. And I'm really pleased to be joined by my colleague, Sarah. Sarah, can you introduce yourself? Hi, Alex. Yes, I'm Sarah Tillotson. Um, I work in the programmes team at the EEF. Um, our role is to manage grants we've given to teams of people who we think have got a great intervention um, that's ready to be evaluated, and we test it to see if it can genuinely improve children's outcomes. Uh, and then if it does, we support those um, to be scaled up so that more schools in the education system can um, access those programs and support their pupils. And um, within the programs team, I lead on language literacy and the early years. Um, so I have expertise in the evidence and programs in that area. Um, and linked to that, before joining the EF, I trained and specialized as an early years teacher and worked in schools for eight years. So I want to welcome the first guests to this podcast about the importance of early language. And we have um, experts um, to start us off. So we have um, Gillian West from the University of Oxford and Claudine Bowyer Crane from NISA. And I want to um, just ask yourselves to introduce yourselves and just, just talk a little bit about that rich experience that you bring. So Claudine. Hi, yeah, good morning. So uh, yes, I, I'm Claudine Bowie-Crane. I'm Associate Research Director at the National Institute of Economic and Social Research in London. Um, my background is um, in children's research and children's language and communication development. I was at the University of York for a number of years and involved in some of the early um, research that uh, developed the Nuffield Early Language Intervention. So working very closely with Charles Hume and Maggie Snowling. Um, so uh, my work now really focuses on, on children's language development, how we can support children moving forward, and obviously more recently looking at um, the impact of uh, COVID on children's language and communication skills. Thank you. Jill? Uh, hi, and thank you very much for having me. And I'm uh, Jill West, and I'm a lecturer in uh, child development and education at the Department of Education at the University of Oxford. And I work with Charles Hume and Maggie Snowling and um, focus on intervention research and language development in children. And in particular uh, on uh, NELI, the Nuffield Early Language Intervention, uh, and large scale trials of, of the intervention and uh, the current rollout that uh, is happening uh, across the country. And also looking at uh, language in uh, children before they start school. Oh, thank you. That was great. Great to hear and get a little bit of a flavour of what we'll talk about. So we'll talk about um, the Nelly programme, which is you know reaching thousands and thousands of children uh, across the country at the moment. We'll also find out about the School Starters project as well, which looks at the impact um, of the pandemic across the last year. Um, I wanted to just start with, I, I think we maybe take it for granted, but just explore a little why early language is so essential for 
you know, development, success in school, you know, from, from a really young age all the way throughout school. So, um, Jill, if I can come back to you and just get your insights, why is, you know, early language just so critical? Uh, it's, it's really fundamental to everything. Um, proficient language skills set the stage for reading development and, and academic success at school. Um, but language is also, it's the medium of instruction at school. So children need to be able to understand what, what they're hearing at school. Uh, but it's also really important for socio-emotional development. Uh, children come into school, they need to be able to build and sustain friendships and they need language for that. Uh, they need to build relationships uh, with their teachers. They need language for that. Um, and uh, they need language to be able to express and manage their emotions. And we know that children that come into school with, with poor language skills have more problems at school. They have more problems related to their social emotional uh, uh, development. Um, they have more problems with their um, behavior, uh, behavioral adjustment to school. Um, and uh, it, so it's, it's a really, really important starting point for everything that comes subsequently. Brilliant, that's, that's a really comprehensive response. Uh, Claudine, you, is there anything you want to add to that? Anything that really stands out for you um, that's emerged from your work? Um, I completely agree with everything Jill's just said. I mean, language is, is just the, the cornerstone for everything. Without language, children um, are not able to really interact with society in, uh, in, in, a, um, in a, a useful way. So they need that language to express their needs and their wants to ask questions. And we know that not having well-developed language skills can lead to um, isolation and frustration and, and some behavioral issues. I think specifically looking at reading development, we know that, I mean, language is, um, is not unidimensional. So there are, different, um, there are different elements of language and we know that different elements of language underpin different reading skills. So for example, we know from our research that phonological skills are vital for developing word level reading skills. And we know that things like vocabulary and grammar, those non-phonological oral language skills are important for developing the reading comprehension skills that children need to take them further than just decoding, barking at print. Um, so I think, you know, there, there are um, the, the general, there's the general importance of language and then there are specifics as well. That's really helpful, thank you. I wonder if you could elaborate on, on why we find that some children's language is not developing um, at the same pace as others or developing as expected. Well, I think there'll be lots of reasons for that. I don't think there's any one particular reason. Obviously, there are some children who will have um, developmental language disorder and there's a lot of work going on at the moment to raise awareness of DLD um, and ways in which people children can be identified and supported um, in, in you know, dealing with having a developmental language disorder. Um, other children, you know, they may have um, come from uh, home learning environments that, that aren't um, communication rich and those families may need support to develop communication rich behaviours in the home. Um, and, you know, so there may be environmental influences on, on children's language development. I think there's a lot of different um, different influences on language development. And the important thing is to try and uh, tease out what those are and where children are struggling, trying to identify what the reason for that is and then act appropriately. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with all of that. And, and I'd add as well that we know that there is a, um, a, a social class gradient 
also to children's language um, uh, abilities when they come into school. So um, we know that children coming to school from more socially deprived backgrounds are at higher risk of having poor language skills um, than, than other children. And also there's a, there's a lot of children that come to school from, from home backgrounds where English isn't the, the main language that's talked at home. And so these children are then coming into school um, really disadvantaged by having had less practice than their monolingual peers uh, uh, with English speaking. And then they're expected to fly from the get-go when, when, when they reach school. So there's also those, those complicating factors too. Yeah, I'd just like to add that that's really important. And what we find from our research is that children who come into school who have English as an additional language, um, they, those children tend to be able to pick up the decoding skills relatively quickly but they continue to struggle with the comprehension skills because that's all underpinned by that vocabulary and grammar um, that they perhaps, you know, for many children with English as an additional language, they may have had less exposure to that than, um, than, than their English speaking peers. Of course, there's a huge um, range uh, within the uh, English as an additional language cohort in terms of levels of English language that they, that they have. Um, but yes, as a rule, as a as a, a general um, observation, it seems to be the case that the mechanics of decoding is relatively easily picked up, but it's the richer language that 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 uh, that they struggle with. And of course, um, there's now emerging evidence that uh, there's the impact of social distancing policies is, is impacting children's language development. And I know Claudine, you're doing a lot of work on that kind of through the school starters study that EF is funding, but then some broader work too. Can you share kind of what insights you've learned so far from, from either the study and the kind of broader um, evidence that you've been looking at? Yeah, so um, I think one thing we do need to be careful of is um, blanket statements. So there's been a lot of blanket statements in the press about, you know, the impact of COVID on children's language and communication. And we know that, that, that you know, the impact will not be the same for all children. So I think that's a really important thing to note from the start. But what we are finding both in our school starters project and in other um, emerging evidence is that for some children, um, language and communication is, uh, has, has suffered as a result of um, of the pandemic. And that's probably to do with, you know, less interaction um, in terms of uh, attending earlier settings, attending schools, um, less interaction um, with um, peers outside the home, with family members, just less frequent opportunities to use and develop and, and experience rich language and communication. So, I mean, we, we've looked at um, children who started school in um, the autumn term, who obviously didn't have the usual transition activities into reception that, that, that they would have had coming from nursery into reception. Um, and what we found is that uh, for many of the schools um, that we spoke to, they did have particular concerns about the language and communication skills of, um, of the children in their, in their classes second only to personal, social and emotional development. Now, what is interesting is that the parents didn't have concerns about their children's language and communication skills. And I think there's a couple of things going on there. One is that um, children are obviously different at home than they are at school. So some children may have been very chatty at home, but then come to school, which is very unfamiliar. They haven't had the transition activities. They, they, you know, they may be um, unwilling to um, communicate in the same way that they would as uh, 
at home. So um, that that difference is um, is quite obvious. But the also, also we know that parent uh, reports of children's language and communication um, are not always as reliable as um, objective measures. Um, so we but we do need to be mindful that that you know yes some children will have will have um, had a negative impact on their language and communication. Other children it may have had no impact, and other children may have benefited from being at home with their parents for a longer period of time. So we are finding that some children have language and communication needs, but I think what's important, going back to what I said earlier, is that we need to try and identify those children who have those difficulties, identify why they have those difficulties and um, intervene appropriately, rather than um, you know, assuming that all the children, all children are gonna need that extra support and kind of just going in all guns blazing. Sarah, can you just talk a bit more then about, about organisationally at the EF, kind of our focus on supporting early language and, and the issues that Claudine and Jill have described? So at the EF, we're really committed to finding approaches that staff can use um, within their early year settings to improve children's outcomes for language. Um, and we conducted a review or funded a review in 2017 um, of a, a evidenced approaches for supporting language development and found that there was a lot of programs that had been developed and but when they'd been tested they'd been tested on really small samples of about eight um, settings or with eight practitioners for example but um, and the main finding was that at the moment we don't know what exactly what approaches could work there's just a broad range that could be effective so we could um, at the moment we understand that um, explicit teaching could improve outcomes. So explicitly teaching vocabulary or narrative could improve outcomes. But we could also uh, find that um, implicit approaches, so interactions, um, informal interactions with children where you kind of scaffold language and model language can improve children's language as well. So we don't have a clear understanding of what the best approach is. Um, and from that research, we found that there's only one program that we kind of have the confidence to encourage people to support um, the rollout of, and that's the Nuffield Early Language Intervention, because it has been rigorously tested um, and has experienced replicated results that have shown it makes that imp um, improves children's outcomes. Um, and obviously, Claudine and Jill have had a lot of, of experience and work on Nelly, and it'd be wonderful to kind of talk about that now. Um, Claudine, can I go to you first and kind of hear about the rationale for the development of the Nuffield Early Language Intervention uh, and kind of the process of that early testing of the programme? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was um, privileged to be involved in uh, the early stages of, of what is now the Nuffield Early Language Intervention, working um, at York with uh, Maggie Snowling and Charles Hume. Um, and that the, the Nelly programme, as is now, was developed um, from years of research working with interventions, starting with um, Charles Hume and Peter Hatch's reading intervention that focused very much on decoding um, and um, you know, we, there was a lot of work focused on uh, developing children's decoding skills. So that was an intervention that looked very much at the mechanics of reading. But what we know is that there are children who can decode really well, but struggle with comprehension. And um, that's likely to be underpinned by language. And so um, 
that is then likely to need a different approach. And so that was how the first uh, language intervention was developed back in 2004. And that program um, compared a uh, traditional sort of phonological reading intervention with um, an oral language intervention and found differential effects. So what we found was that the phonological program um, underpinned children's uh, word level reading and the oral lang language intervention program underpinned children's um, vocabulary and grammar etc and it sort of it sort of snowballed from there really so we then uh, went through a number of different iterations of the uh, language intervention we looked at developing you know you know uh, di different um different types of sessions we uh, looked at different age groups um and we uh, finally came to the Na uh, Nuffield early language intervention as is now so um it's been a number of years in the making it's been uh very, uh, as you say, very rigorously evaluated. It was developed with not just with um, academics in the university, but with in consultation with speech and language therapists and practitioners. It was based based very much on um, good practice in terms of speech and language therapy. Um, and so, um, you know, we've we've sort of combined our theoretical knowledge of language development with uh, what we know about you know what works for developing children's language skills. Um, and so that's where we are now and probably a good time to hand over to, to Jill about where it's going. <laughs> yes, yeah, very, very solid foundations for the programme. Um, and uh, since that time, we, we, we've made a, a few modifications to it, but it's now published as a, as a 20 week programme um, by OUP. Um, and so the latest and largest trial um, that, that we conducted for um, the Nuffield Early Language Intervention uh, was an effectiveness trial of the programme delivered at scale. So in real world settings, um, really to see how feasible it was for, for schools to obtain the effects that we, we obtained in smaller trials uh, when they did it themselves. So we had close to 200 schools involved in the latest trial. Um, and uh, that involved moving very quickly. So we had to test all of the children uh, very quickly indeed, just under 6,000 of them, in fact, in three weeks. Um, and we used a new uh, language assessment app that we developed to do that, which we were very pleased with indeed. So that's a, a, a short test, about 10 minutes per child, and it tests both, both their speaking and language skills. So these are all, all measures that, that then um, define a, a, language, uh, um, a, a language score for the child. So there's expressive vocabulary tests in there. We test their understanding of words too. We test their listening comprehension and their ability to repeat sentences. Uh, this gives us then an estimate of the child's uh, language ability. And from that, we're then able to identify the children in, in, in these classes across 200 schools uh, with the weakest language scores and send speech and language therapists in to assess them individually. Um, and then uh, these 200 schools gave, uh, or 100 of them rather, I should say, gave the, the, the uh, Nuffield Early Language Intervention to their children for 20 weeks. Uh, and the uh, other arm of our trial um, continued business as, as usual. And we were, uh, we, we were delighted to find what we hoped we'd find, which is that the children receiving Nelly showed a, a, a greater improvement in their language than, than children in the control group. Um, and these were really, um, really decent effect sizes that we found. So um, really substantively important improvements that children made. 
Um, and, and so this trial really was, was um, important in giving us evidence that um, it's possible to deliver a, a, an intensive language intervention like Nelly at scale uh, and for it to result in, in, uh, in real, real improvements for, for ch the children receiving the programme. Um, and, and we also looked at, at behavioural adjustment as well for those children. So that's something that we're really interested in uh, now. And we were able to uh, show that the children receiving Nelly uh, also showed improved behavioural adjustment to school. Um, which we think is quite important. In fact, not, not mediated by their language improvements, but we think that like the likelihood is that it's a, as a consequence of the, this very supportive small group nature of Nelly, um, the focus on, on developing active listening, being able to sit, still pay attention to regulate their behaviour during the, the, the sessions themselves and, and that that then generalises outside of the classroom. So we're, we're going to be looking at that going forwards too. Um, but but yes, this was the, the, the latest and, and largest uh, trial of Nelly. And we think that it's, it's the biggest randomised control trial uh, of an educational uh, intervention that's been conducted to date. And probably what not—it's probably even rarer to find that such a huge trial finds an impact, um, and that's what makes Nelly kind of so special. Is that um, this kind of fifteen-year-long period of development has honed something that actually can improve children's outcomes um, at scale, and it, it's it's a challenge to find programs that offer that. Um, so it's amazing now that the DfE have provided funding to enable the programme to be offered to lots of schools and children in the country. Um, I wondered if you wanted to talk a bit more about that, Jill, about um, how the DfE rollout is going and how schools have kind of taken it up. Yes, I'd be delighted. This has been a huge focus over the last year. So, so in, in the wake of the pandemic and really as a result of the trial I, I just mentioned, um, we had funding uh, from the Department for Education to roll out nearly to 5,000 schools. And, and, and in fact, we've been able to reach over 6,500 schools this year. So it, it's that's been great. And, and in order to do that, we really had to fast track plans that we already had in place for, for Nelly. Um, and, and I guess there's two key developments that we put in place to, to be able to do that. Um, the, and the first is training. So um, a really important part of, of Nelly is training uh, the teachers and teaching assistants, particularly the teaching assistants that are delivering Nelly uh, in, in how to do that effectively. Um, and uh, up until the, the, the rollout this year, that was done via two, two and a half day face-to-face -face training sessions, really intensive, really comprehensive. But obviously if you're rolling out to thousands of schools, um, there's a, a huge cost to that. There's a huge cost in time to schools in releasing staff to attend sessions. Um, and it's a massive coordination challenge to do that on a, on a large scale. So we developed a new online training and support model for schools uh, for this rollout. And that's now part of Nelly. Um, so this is a, a, a suite of training courses that we run via the um, uh, platform FutureLearn. And uh, we invite the teachers, the reception teachers to attend 
part of that training and teaching assistants will be going on to deliver the sessions to, to complete the suite of courses on, on, on FutureLearn. Um, and uh, so that tells school staff really all about um, uh, oral language development. So they have a good understanding of, of, of what that is, why oral language is so important it gives them an overview of the program and then also gives them an understanding of the key teaching techniques that are employed in the program, as well as telling them how to deliver the program effectively and giving them a kind of deep dive into each each type of session in the program and how to use the materials, etc. And we even have videos on there of the sessions. Uh, uh, that were shot in, in schools so they can really see how um, experienced early practitioners are delivering the program. So there's, a, there's a, a, a lot of material there for them. And since January, we've been able to uh, enrol over 20,000 teachers and teaching assistants in the program, uh, in the training. Um, so this is a recognition then that it's not just that the, the children who are going to be receiving Nelly who benefit, but but you know we're also really keen that it's the the teaching professionals who who um, manfully take on this challenge who benefit too in terms of their their uh, professional development, um, and it's been really well received. So we we've had some wonderful feedback uh, from teachers and teaching assistants in schools, including recommendations that that the training should become part of all teaching assistant training going forwards. Uh, and people very glad that they're able to put their new knowledge into practice with with children, not just in the programme, but outside of the Nelly programme too. Um, I think there's somewhere in the region of 40,000 comments from teachers and teaching assistants on the first course alone to date. So we're, we're, we're thrilled with that work. It seems to be working very well. And we have a, a mentor team of speech and language therapists and um, uh, Nelly practitioners who are monitoring the, the courses at all times and are also uh, providing ongoing support for, for, for schools on a, a support hub throughout the programme. And, and then the other aspect, the other thing that we've developed to enable us to manage the rollout is pairing uh, the intervention, I feel early language intervention with this assessment tool, language screen assessment tool um, to enable schools to identify the right children for the programme. And that's in recognition that there's really a lack of reliable, readily available language tests for schools to use. Um, and uh, so this is the first time that language screen is available for schools to use. We've been using it in, in our work in, in, for research for some time, but it's the first time it's available for schools. Um, and um, we're providing a report for schools so they can see the language scores then of all of their children. They can um, they can consistently uh, and accurately decide who would benefit most from going into the Nuffield Early Language Intervention um, when they deliver the programme themselves. Thanks, Jill. That's really interesting to hear um, about how people are receiving the programme. And of course, um, the DfV has provided funding for more schools to receive Nelly in the next academic year. The, the EF has funded some evaluation of its own research trials to look at what programmes in its portfolio are particularly closing the disadvantage gap or working to improve outcomes for disadvantaged children in particular. And Nelly has come out really strongly in that research as being one of the programmes that we've funded that can close that gap or 
improve improve outcomes for all children, but especially improve outcomes for disadvantaged children. I'd be really interested to hear why you think the programme works, firstly to kind of improve outcomes, but maybe why it particularly improves outcomes for disadvantaged children. Yes, it's a, a, a good question. So I think um, it, it's, it pr improves outcomes for children regardless of, 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 uh, of their um, uh, backgrounds coming into the programme. I mean, we were able to show in the trial there's absolutely no difference in terms of outcome between children who have um, uh, weak language skills and, and are monolingual English speakers and children who have English as an additional language, for example. So I think the, the, the programme is good at improving children's language skills uh, and, and it's the use of it as a tool to be able to close the gap that's the important thing. So um, so you can, you can give the programme then to children who are coming to school with weaker language skills because uh, potentially they have they, they come from from um, uh, less affluent backgrounds that that that's the key there so it's not that the program specifically helps children um, from deprived backgrounds it's it's that it can be used in in, in that way and can I just add to that um, I think there's also something about the way the program is designed that um, you know there there are there are prescribed sessions, but but there also there's also flexibility within the program. So you can um, adapt the program to the individual ch child's needs, and I think that's what's really important. So you're not um, you're not um, what do I want to say? It, it's it's not it's not that every child every session is the same for every child. So there are individual sessions built into Nelly as well to allow for some flexibility there. So. Um, it, it's uh, it it's not um, a one one size fits all approach. I think that's fair to say, Jill. Would you agree with that? I, I think so. I think you've just picked up on a really important point, actually, and that's something we see time and time again. Um, the the Nelly is is uh, comprises of small group sessions, but also individual sessions. And I think the individual sessions are a really really important part of the program. Uh, and the fact that the teaching assistants. Um, receive training but are, but are then able to uh, tailor the individual sessions to the specific level of the child makes a massive difference. Um, so they're able to pick up perhaps on vocabulary that the child was struggling with during group sessions. They're able to really support the child in developing their narrative skills on a one-to-one -one level. That's a really, really important part of the programme. Thank you, Jill. That was way more articulate than what, that's exactly what I was trying to say but much more articulate <laughs> I've got one final question now I obviously there's been so much work that's gone into Nelly up till now but I imagine that's not the end um what kind of research questions or program development do you have kind of in the pipeline that at the moment Jill uh well so we, we, we know that language skills develop rapidly from the ages of about three to six. And so we think that lang uh, language uh, development work in, in nursery uh, before children go into to formal education is, is a really good point of time to, to, to start doing that. Um, and uh, really starts kids off uh, um, best able to, to make the most of, of um, going to, into school proper. Um, 
So that's what we're focusing on at the moment. We're developing a new language intervention that is specifically for children in the year before they enter formal education. Um, and uh, we, in fact, we started trialling it before the pandemic and very sadly had to pause the trial, but we'll be starting up again in September. Uh, but this is a programme that, that's designed around shared book reading. Um, and we, so it was quite a different beast to Nelly, if you like, as a program. It, uh, Nelly is a is a, a program that works on taking children out of classes, and and this program we describe as a language enrichment program. So it's a it's a, a program for all children in nursery. It's a it has a universal element, and then it provides additional targeted support for children who have. Um, the weakest language skills in the class. So it does both those things. Uh, and it's very much built around book reading. Um, we, we know that, that books are a really rich source of language. Um, so that gives us quite structured language to use. Um, and uh, we've got a really great mixture of books. We've partnered with a fantastic uh, publisher called Nosy Crow. Uh, and we've got uh, fairy tales, we've got contemporary stories, we've got some nonfiction in there too, but something for every child in nursery. Um, and we use the, 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 the books as a focal point to teach children about um, uh, the structure of stories, the sequencing of events, and we also use the books as a platform for children then to be able to use language themselves to retell stories. So to produce language themselves, which is a real focus of the, of the program. Um, so so the, the program really focuses on, on children's speaking skills as well as their listening skills. Um, and uh, so we're teaching them, teaching them very much about vocabulary. Um, and, and we use the, the words in the books themselves to do that um, because that's a really fundamental building block of language. And then we also um, focus on their narrative uh, skills too. So we um, get them to retell aspects of the stories through the activities that we do. So we're getting them to, to, to produce language too. And, and we're really looking forward to starting up this trial again in September and, and looking forward very much to the results that come out of it. I am too. I, I can't wait to find out the results of that trial when, um, when you've got finally got there after all that work. And we know that you are also being funded by us to um, look at the cohort of children who received Nellie as part of that effectiveness trial and look at how their language and literacy is doing kind of two years later when they're in year two this summer. Do you want to speak about that a bit more? Yes, certainly. So we, we've uh, reached out to all of the schools on uh, that the, the uh, large scale effectiveness trials. There's about 193 schools we've just reached out to. Um, and we are um, going to be looking at the language skills and the reading skills for the, the literacy developments that children have made uh, since they were part of Nelly. So these children are now in year two. Um, so it's quite a long time. Um, we don't know what we're going to find, but we're certainly going to look. We're going to look at their uh, word reading skills and we're going to also look at um, their reading comprehension. So that's something that, that Claudine um, uh, raised at the beginning, that, that reading, reading isn't just reading words, it's also understanding uh, the print on the page. So we're going to be looking at that too. Um, so that work is, is going on now. We are, we've got wonderful schools on the trial, but we're, they're having to do an awful lot of it for us because we're not able to send people in ourselves uh, to measure the children now. So we're training the uh, somebody in each school to administer the tests and then we will school 
all the tests when they come back to us. Fingers crossed that we find some impact at that stage because I think it's even it's it's rare to find um, a stud, um, a program that impacts children's outcomes when it's delivered to a lot of schools. But it's even rarer to find one that has a delayed. Uh, you can find an effect at a delayed time point. So, fingers crossed that Nelly has that impact. Yes, I yes I hope so. I, I hope we find something again. As we say, it's an awfully long time since the trial. Uh, and we hope that those children will have continued to benefit right right the way through from, from reception to year two and beyond. Can I just say a big thank you to both Jill and Claudine? Uh, one, for sharing your expertise, but also for just the amazing work that you're taking part in and have been for, for years and years. So uh, I think it's been crucial before the pandemic, but given everything that's happened uh, over the last year or more, I think I think there's nothing more important. Uh, so just a big thank you um, on that score. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for um, for inviting us to talk today. It's it, well, it's a real privilege to hear about kind of the scale and, and the impact of Nelly you know, under really trying circumstances. It really is quite rare, isn't it? And you know, as we stated, to have such a program at such a scale makes such a difference and it's been an absolute privilege to be involved with that team and supporting them in the, in the delivery of that this year um but at the year if we recognize that that's not the only solution to supporting language development um in the early years um and we, we're we're testing other language programs and we're going to hear soon from um, the team who are who we're funding to deliver the Learning Language and Loving It programme, which um, is another kind of CPD programme, but supports a different kind of aspect of, well, a different approach for supporting language development in that it supports um, practitioners through video feedback to interact with children better. So those kind of impromptu, um, implicit ways of supporting language rather than an explicit programme where you take children out of the class. That's great. So let's hear more about that then. It's a seamless segue. We've got lots of guests here today, so I'm really excited to introduce um, a, a group of guests who will explain um, their background in supporting young children. So, Caroline, can I start with you? Yes, hello, Alex. Um, my name's Caroline Coyne. I'm a di director of Communicate SLTCIC, um, and I'm also a speech and language therapist. And together with uh, Joanne Byrne, who's also here today, I co-founded Communicate uh, 10 years ago. Uh, to provide high quality speech and language and communication services and training. Uh, prior to working uh, with Communicate, I was with the NHS for many years, working in community clinics, in children's centres and schools, etc. Thank you, Caroline. Joanne? Hi, I'm Joanne Burr. As Caroline said, I'm co-founder of Communicate Speech and Language Therapy. I've been a speech and language therapist for about uh, 26 years. Um, most of that working with children um, in areas of deprivation and, um, and in that multi-agency context of supporting children. Um, and I'm a mum a wife to a teacher uh, and a mum of two teenagers, which I think is really helpful. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Rian, over to you. Yeah, I'm Rian Owen. I'm a speech and language therapist with about 
10 years experience working with children and their families and practitioners. Um, I've previously worked in the NHS and then I've worked and travelled around the world really before returning to the UK and then I became involved with Joanne and Caroline and Communicate um, about three years ago um, and within the Hannon Project. Thank you. And, and and what's really clear is that real wealth and breadth and depth of experience. And it's really great. And, and, and we'll really unpack the roles and, and, and what that work looks like um, in, in lots of different um, educational contexts. Um, Sarah mentioned about the commissioning of really high quality programs to support young children. And one of the reasons why we're here together is there's a fantastic program, Learning Language and Loving It. Um, Caroline, can you tell us a little bit more about that program, summarize it for us, and, and, and that'd be a great lead in to then talk about just the, the roles and the skills that emerge from great programs like this. Yes, well, thank you. Um, we are great advocates of, of the Hannon approach. Um, the Hannon Centre is a Canadian charity that uh, was uh, founded in 1975, um, but it's got global reach. It's been um, a lot of its programmes and resources have been translated into uh, pretty much every language um, across the world. Um, and its um, aim is to enable parents and professionals to transform their daily interactions with young children to build the best possible lifelong um, social language and literacy skills. Um, and it includes children who are typically developing and also those who are at risk of language delay or have got um, of developmental uh, challenges such as autistic spectrum disorder. And so they've got lots of programmes for parents and professionals and lots of resources. And they, um, they do do and support lots of research into their uh, techniques um, so that they can make sure that that works and make sure that they contribute to a strong evidence base. So they developed Learning Language and Loving quite some time ago. Um, it's been, there's been lots of research that's focused on whether that training is successful in changing practitioner behaviour um, and, and promoting that responsive, developmentally appropriate interactions with young children. And there's been less focus in the research on the improving the impact for children. And that's why we uh, contacted the um, Education Endowment Foundation and said, we'd like you to, to research this more fully and could we'd love to be involved. Thank you, that's really helpful. One of the things that I think is really special about the Learning Language and Loving It programme is that it involves a speech and language therapist coaching school-based staff um, to improve their interactions with children. And I know that I had, um, I was really privileged when I was working in schools because I worked really closely with speech and language therapists uh, and we had speech and language therapists based in our school itself. But I know not everyone has that experience. Um, so I thought it might be quite good to start by you sharing what the role of a speech and language therapist is um, and how um, they can support schools. Joanne, do you want to take that question? Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you, Sarah. Um, speech and language therapists provide life improving treatment, support and care for children and adults who have difficulties with communication, eating, drinking or swallowing. So there's about 17,000 practicing speech and language therapists in the UK. Um, now, at Communicate, we focus on working with babies, children and young people. 
and our aim is to enable children to express themselves be listened to and understood um, and and we just one of our missions at communicate is communication for life communication is just so central to life it's involved in relationships, in learning, in mental health, in having fun, uh, making friends. It's just work. It's so central to life. And so, so we're delighted as speech and language therapists to be supporting that life skill within children. So, so what we do is we support the identification speech language communication needs we can provide assessments and reports or we can recommend assessments that other people can undertake and we can support diagnosis of speech language communication needs and intervention and resources talk a bit more about how best schools or early years settings can work with speech and language therapists. You mentioned lots of things that you do there, but is there something that um, teachers or TAs can do specifically to work better with speech and language therapists? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And later we're going to hear some of the feedback from the Learning Language and Loving It programme, which looks at um, how it's really good that we've got a common language between families, speech and language therapists and schools so that we all understand each other to begin with um, and understand what we're talking about and also what we're aiming for for children and to enable them to have the best outcomes that they can. And for the last three years, Communicate have been working with the EEF to deliver the Hanan Learning Language and Loving It programme to early years settings in the north of England and we talked about that program a little bit at the beginning uh, but I'd love to hear a bit more about how that program is delivered in practice um, and what practitioners kind of get out of that CPD program but we also know that over this period it's been heavily impacted by Covid and unfortunately we're not going to get an impact evaluation on that but it'd be really we, we're learning lots about delivering programs remotely so I'd love to hear a bit more about your reflection on, on how the delivery has gone during this difficult time. Okay. So the Learning Language and Loving It programme, like we said before, was developed by Hannon. And this is really focused on um, working with early educational practitioners, um, having a speech and language therapist lead on the programme. And uh, the programme is uh, is delivered with a with a a mix of group sessions, group workshop sessions, where we all come together and all share ideas and then followed by one-to-one -one video feedback sessions. So lots of the information and strategies are presented at the group workshop um, by the speech and language therapist. But the great thing about Hannon is that um, there's a lot of time spent within the, within the group sessions to practice the new strategies and the new information presented. And then there's a lot of time spent on how to personalize those strategies to each individual setting. So each practitioner is encouraged um, by, the, by the program lead to think about how those strategies can be embedded in their daily practice and in their, 
in their specific setting because each setting obviously works different. Um, the strategies are really focused on how to make each interaction with the child very high quality and thinking about how to um, improve, um, increase opportunities for each individual child in that classroom to access those high quality interactions. So we really look at how we identify those children who are not um, making use of the opportunities or who are not being given as many opportunities as other children and really how we spend more time with those children and then how to make once we've got that child in that interaction how to increase their engagement keep them in the interaction longer and then we can think about what information we can provide for that child knowing that they're really engaged and ready to learn that new vocabulary that we're able to give them. Um, so all the information is presented in a workshop where lots of practitioners can come together from different schools. But then we follow up each workshop with a one-to-one -one video session where in pre-COVID times, the programme lead would visit the setting, meet with the practitioner and then spend some time with them videoing an interaction that they planned with a certain child or a certain group of children in their setting. And then we'd spend some one-on-one -on -one time reviewing that video. Um, so we both get a chance to kind of see what happened in the interaction, um, notice what strategies were used or what opportunities were missed. And then the real focus is, or is what's the impact on the child? What happened? I used this strategy what was the impact on that child or I missed that opportunity what was the impact on that child and then we can kind of come together and really collaborate about how um, how and why the practitioner would really like to embed those strategies how what those strategies will look like next time what the impact what the child's response will look like next time what's the hope and then we can move on to next stages in terms of what's the next stage for that particular child or group of children and what's the next stage for that practitioner's learning as well is there anything they want to add to their um, strategy toolbox in terms of what they want to use in the future um, so that's a really different part of learning language and loving it is that video feedback opportunity and um, the feedback that we've got from practitioners um, both teachers and and teaching assistants in classrooms is they really value that time that they can spend one-on-one -on -one with the program lead to in that protected time to think and reflect upon interactions because obviously in a busy classroom there's often not time to reflect on the successes that um, that we see and especially with a large group of children that you can see the individual changes in the in the children as well um, so yeah so I mean it's those videos that we get the there's at the beginning of the program, lots of the teachers and TAs are quite wary and quite nervous of those video sessions um, because videoing can feel quite um, intimidating. And um, But ultimately, throughout the course and throughout the six sessions and towards the end, that's where we get the greatest feedback and um, practitioners really value those, um, those times to think about how those strategies are embedded and what they look like. And then we also get time at the workshops to share videos share successes so the practitioners can really see their peers using the strategies and how successful they've been in their in their settings as well which is a really good learning way 
can you can you just talk Rian, about the adaptations have have you had to have a new approach because of the remote aspect of the last year um yeah so i think caroline's got some more information on how we adapted the program yeah and um, so so the original plan in 2019 20 um for the delivery of the intervention it was scheduled over 31 weeks because uh, we really wanted to make it a gold standard learning language and living it program so it included an orientation meetings to explain about the intervention about the evaluation eight training workshops lasting two and a half hours each and then six individual video feedback sessions and then a pre video and a post video as well to for the practitioners to really be able to reflect on their learning and their progress unfortunately um, in uh, March 2020, as with many other things, um, uh, it was m- massively impacted by the COVID pandemic um, because earlier settings and schools closed for all but key workers um, and vulnerable children. So we paused it there. And then um, in consultation with the Education Endowment Foundation, who are the funders, and Natsen, who are the evaluators, Hannon, who are the programme developers, um, ourselves as deliverers and the school staff, um, the, the, um, the, uh, the evaluation was redesigned to allow continuity and completion of this, of this training um, in the following term. So we used Hannon Teach Talk A, which is about encouraging language development in an early years environment, and Hannon Teacher Talk B, letting language lead the way to literacy. We used those to refresh the training content for existing um, participants and also to catch up new participants who joined the nurseries um, in 2020 so that they any movement, natural movement of staff didn't uh, preclude schools from staying engaged with the training delivery and, and therefore the evaluation. Um, so we delivered those, those uh, catch-up um, workshops in January and in November and January. Um, and we were really pleased a large percentage of schools uh, remained engaged despite the really challenging times for them. Um, and I think that was testament to how much they valued the training that they were that they were taking part in. And originally, we we did plan to switch back to face to face delivery in that spring term, but as we all know, uh, that didn't happen. Um, and so um, we continued with the delivery um, until it com- it completed just at the end of May. Just um, so the closures within some schools and the reduced pupil attendance meant that in spring 2020, the Education Endowment Foundation um, and the rest of the team that were involved um, took the decision not to proceed with the um, online testing. Um, so unfortunately, it means that the evaluation isn't able to um, really sort of, you know, show uh, the impact for the individual children's language skills, but it will be able to provide um, useful information about the perceived improvements to practitioner knowledge and the application of planning strategies and indeed look at how that changing uh, the intervention um, with the COVID restrictions, how that affected um, the practitioner's experience and how it was delivered. Yeah, I think it'll still bring lots of really valuable information at, at a particularly crucial time. I, it's really disappointing, isn't it, to be affected in that way, but one of the ironies being that we know language will be one of the areas to support, particularly when you know people do return to educational settings and, and we kind of have a, a more substantive recovery.
So now, after hearing about these really superb programs that support early language development, we're going to hear about practice. And, and it's really crucial that we hear about that translation, about the likes of the Nelly program, why it's important, and then really, really valuably, how it gets enacted and, and, and what schools have to do to support that success um, for the program. So I'm really pleased to introduce Charlotte and Rebecca um, and I'll, I'll allow them uh, to introduce themselves. So Charlotte, do you want to start us off? Hi, I'm Charlotte Havrick and I'm a, um, a teaching assistant at Setrington's All Saints Church of England Primary School and I am the TA in school that delivers the Nelly programme among various other interventions. Uh, my name is Rebecca Rostowick. I am the head teacher uh, at Bentley High Street Primary School and it's a school in Doncaster in quite a deprived area. Thank you both. And, and if I start with a question, so we've mentioned um, Nelly already and I just want to get that um, exam, you know, that explanation of why Nelly was relevant at this time for children in your school. And, and Rebecca, can, it, can I start with you? Of course. Um, for us, we're a school that we have a nursery um, and typically children start nursery quite low. I'm talking about 13% age related. Um, and the reason for that, we, we've known for a long time, it's about uh, language and oracy. Um, we also know from all the research out there about uh, children by the age of five, if they've got that gap and what can happen to them. So for us, it was really looking at a priority about how do we raise children's attainment, but not just for GLD in, in reception, but for you know, life opportunity in later years, especially for our disadvantaged pupils. Um, so for us, we, we knew we had a need and it was just a case of going back to the EF and looking at what was out there. And this was about three years ago for us. Um, so we found it, you know, it came up in terms of a, a recommended intervention and really we just took it from there. Brilliant. Charlotte? Well, as a research school, we were very aware that there's relatively few interventions that have been shown to consistently have an impact um, but Nelly was one of them um, and also we're quite aware that a lot of pupils that come to us um, in reception um, not many of them are attending um, preschools or that kind of early years setting um, so um, and, and that has been an issue for a while so we're hoping we can bridge that gap using Nelly. A frequent question we get asked is when where do we fit Nelly in the day when do we do it um, and we make the recommendation not to replace core literacy and language teaching but do it extra so then people find it's still quite hard to find the time do you want to share when in the day you um implement Nelly in your school I was going to say I completely agree with that um we've had I think when you're implementing Nelly you've got to make a real commitment to follow it and I think that's the first thing that you need because of the time commitment um we have tended to go for afternoons because our children typically it's more focused on the core subjects in the morning um, and we found also it's quite a nice calming activity for reception children um, following dinner as well but I think the other thing about it is the commitment has got to be to the time where you've got to be flexible is about where that time occurs um, so for us it's like if you're following the intervention in its entirety uh, and we've learned over the years that that's where you get most impact you kind of have to be flexible so although you might have ambitions for it to take place in an afternoon at a fixed time um, it can get hijacked so I think it, I think we just try and focus on right the essentials are that these children are getting it this many times uh, and just 
allowing ourselves to be flexible about when that is and not thinking well because something might have happened there that, that that has been missed that we can sort of like supplement that elsewhere yeah I completely agree with that as well and um interestingly um sometimes how successful a session is I've found is what time of day it is as well um because you know obviously sometimes if it's later on in the afternoon the children are tired they're not always necessarily wanting to sit still or to listen or um but that's you know that's not the case every time we do try and have our um interventions in an afternoon but like Rebecca said there are times where they do take place in the morning and it hasn't seemed to affect the children in a negative way at all um you know if that's been the case and Rebecca, you said that um, you've been del delivering Nelly for about three years now. What impacts have you seen in your school from that delivery of Nelly? Oh, so, honestly, so many. So um, as we discussed about um, how we, they start nursery with us, typically about 13%. Um, we're a school that historically, you know, we've, we've struggled with GLD and it's not about GLD for me. I'm just using this as an example. Um, but children have tended, because they haven't got the literacy and the oracy, like we know across any curriculum, but particularly in early years, that they need that skill to be successful across, you know, in maths, they need to be able to talk about maths concepts. Um, for us, we have seen a raising of attainment across all areas, which has impacted on GLD. So obviously it's a big commitment in terms of how many children can access the programme, but in three years only, so the children we identify are typically those who've got potential um, but they would struggle to have achievement across the areas without extra support for language. Out of those children that we've had, only one child has not achieved GLD, whereas all of them wouldn't have. So in terms of that, we've seen some amazing and absolutely brilliant outcomes. Um, the other big picture from like a head sort of teacher point of view is the professional development. So the staff's understanding of how to develop oracy from either leading the programme or watching the programme has been um, like exceptional, like that idea of repetition, um, recasting things that children are saying. We're seeing that filtering into the classroom more. So it's not just the impact for the individual learners, but the impact in terms of the quality of provision. That's really wonderful to hear. Um, I'm so pleased that it's having such a good impact in your school and you've seen that over several years. And Charlotte, obviously you are, um, are taking part in Nelly as, this, um, as part of the DFB funded um, approach that was rolled out this year. So we've yeah. been delivering it for as long, but I'm, I'm sure there's probably been some impacts felt already. What, what things have you observed? Well, I can just agree with Rebecca on how um, it does really make you know not just the children and the staff that are delivering it I myself you know it, it has this ripple effect across the whole class and, and cohort and staff so that's been a major one but just in the children themselves their confidence is just it has just skyrocketed you know and it's really wonderful to see they're connecting with their peers more especially with the group of children we've got the necessarily be the ones that always mix together in class but so they're forming those links and friendships um you know, they're learning patience and respect for, you know, the rules and each other, which has been lovely. Um, and it's sort of just that enforcing the basic elements of language and vocabulary as well, which they just haven't started off with. And as adults, it's so easy to just assume that everybody's come from the same place and the same backgrounds, and it's just not the case. And so all the children in our, our group are really taking really individual um, positives from it under 
uh, you know all the language and vocabulary skills as well so it, it really has just been wonderful um and we're only we're only um on t session 14 i think so yeah well the group session 14 so it's been brilliant really really good not, not to jump in um, too much, but what Charlotte was just saying there about that um, concept of emotional regulation, absolutely. Like we, we've seen that children have been able to articulate their feelings better. Um, and I think the whole structure and the routine of the programme does lend itself so well because it's so supportive in children understanding, um, you know, not just in terms of behaviour, but just in terms of metacognition and their approach to learning. We've, we've seen such an impact. Absolutely. One of the elements of the programme that doesn't um, get a lot of like shone on it is the one-to-one -one kind of individual sessions that children in the group have with the, their Nelly practitioner. I wonder if we could talk a bit about that. Um, Becky, Becky, what's your experience been of those one-to-one -one sessions in school? I think they are so unbelievably valuable because it just allows sort of like that, that individual child's needs to be met. Um, it allows the lead to consolidate understanding um, just to get a really good idea in terms of assessment, in terms of how they're coping that week as well. I think in terms of implementation, again, it can be quite challenging because they're, they're kind of like the aspects of the one-to-one -one that I think are hardest to fit in, but so incredibly valuable. Um, and I think that allows you to get really clear information in terms of bringing that into the classroom and sharing that with teachers as well. Um, so such a key aspect of the programme from my point of view. And Charlotte, how have you found those one-to-one -one sessions? Just invaluable, really, because they really help, you know, all the children have um, different experiences of the language and the words you're covering. Um, so it really helps top up or, you know, extend their understanding of how they can use those words and and what you've been looking at in uh, in those particular group sessions so you know they really help in addition to helping some of the quieter children um you know they have their chance to um have that that quiet time with you and um, maybe revisit something they've missed or if they've got distracted or um sort of overlooked as such with with the other children so they really are and and it helps you bond you know you have that bond with the children as well um and then you know when they feel safe and secure with you it's 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 key really they sound like a really good way of personalising the kind of structured approach with those individual children so that you can kind of give them the, the specific dose of language that they need. Exactly. And some of them can articulate, you know, in some places quite well what they want to say or what they want to ask, whereas, you know, others it takes a lot more coaxing, but they all get there in the end. So it does just provide that opportunity to be able to do that. And then the ones that have really cemented the words and the, the things you've done in that group session, you can push them even further. And then it, in turn, sometimes they then bring that out in the next group session, which then rolls on to, you know, the children that have found it a little bit more tricky. So they're really, really, really um, a key part. Could we turn now to talk about other approaches um, your school uses or implements to support language development? At the EF, we know that Nelly isn't the one and only approach for supporting language development. It's just it's one that we think is the best bet at the moment for people to implement. Um, so what other um, approaches are teachers and teaching assistants using in class to support children with language in your schools? Rebecca, can I go to you first? Um, one of the things that we have been doing that I think is quite exciting is um, we've done a, a bit of a vocabulary project with our um, early years practitioners 
We've got an age two provision as well, and we've kind of identified um, what language do we think children should know at the end of year two? What language do you think children should know kind of at the end of nursery? And what we try and do is make sure that language is used across the curriculum in sort of different areas. And we're not doing like formal assessments against that. What we're trying to do is just make the environment language rich. Um, so we identified, for example, our school that's prepositions. Um, the other thing that we've been looking at is how we work with parents because um, we know that's absolute key. And we had a bit of a, you know, we, we were talking to parents about doing, do you talk to children about the learning? And they were basically saying to us, you know, they, they come home and, and they can't even tell us what they've had for dinner, let alone what they've been doing at school. Um, so across school, one of the things that we've been trialing this year has been um, we send home a bit like of a weekly newsletter uh, per year group. And it says, talk to me about and ask me about. And what we realise is, in order to carry on that dialogue at home, we need to provide families with the ingredients to know what we're talking about, to engage their children. If we want families engaged in learning, we need to be supportive of that. And that's been so well received. Um, so it has, says things like on it, um, uh, chat about this, and you could look here for extra learning. But it just seems that parents, because they're more informed about learning, they're able to support with literacy because they're having those conversations at home. Um, so I think for us, it's like, it's twofold, isn't it? It's the learning from language, as in, and as in how we use language to support our learning, but then it's like language development. Um, so I think for us as a school, it's about helping children to support in any, any forms of language game by having those opportunities for discussion. So that's kind of, it's the vocabulary project that we're kind of looking at to develop children's language, but then the learn from has been about getting families involved in learning so we can have those conversations. That sounds really fantastic and so exciting that parents are taking up that support that you're offering. And Charlotte, what in-class approaches are you using at school to support language or even what what um, activities are you sharing with parents to support with language? Well, very, very similar to um, what Rebecca said, you know, we make sure that connection with parents is there with the newsletters and regular emails and everything so they know what's going on in school. So because we all know, um, you know, if what it's like when you say, what have you got up to today? Nothing, you know, and that's as far as the conversation goes sometimes. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so just making sure that those um, those doors are open to have those conversations with their with their children and um, in class we have we do lots of um small group um work and then large group work um we do we do do a lot of one-to-ones the thing is we've been such a small school um and having that mixed class um it it does provide us with good opportunities to re you know we are we have 22 um all together with reception and year one um so we feel like we can re we really really know our children um and equally they are you know the older ones bring the younger ones on and we really look at how we pair them off sometimes and um, in that respect and then there's just the case of the activities in class you know lots of um, game work um, we use some of the listening games that we use in Nelly in class um, what for one reason is to give the children that are in Nelly you know that sense of I know this and oh I can join in with this and we do this so it, you know it helps them feel included and almost ahead in, ahead of, in the game and a lot of the time I can imagine when you know when when you find language hard you feel the total opposite so we really try and do those kind of things yeah just just gonna say what um kind of what charlotte was saying there um in terms of teaching and learning we, we have worked with all children um and staff uh, you know the idea of the, the developing adult interactions i think it's in the preparing for literacy guide 
Um, we have used that as a model for just general discussion across school. Um, because I think we notice, I think there's some instances where sort of language and discussion between a, a, an adult and a child has been used more about looking at a task approach. Um, and what we've tried to do is learn to focus CPD in terms of it being an opportunity for learning um, and the development of language. So we have spent a lot of time looking at how do we facilitate those interactions? When are they successful? Um, what would a successful one look like? And kind of trying to give them, especially support staff, the opportunity to observe that across school. Um, again, all of that is coming back to the kind of like that ambition for oversee. And I think once you sort of, once you know that's what you need for your school, it comes into sort of so many areas. It's just making yeah. sure you're providing that as an opportunity. I mean, that's really, it's really great to hear, uh, Rebecca and, and Charlotte. I think what comes through really strongly is this consistent, deliberate approach to seizing all of those opportunities around developing language. So you've got Nelly in this really high quality, structured approach, all the way to you know really bespoke one-to-one. And then you, you're taking every opportunity to work with parents for rich talk, to, you know, think about reading and talk in the classroom and, and making sure everyone's involved. So you know, it's a real privilege to hear about that work going on. So a big thank you for sharing that and, and just a big thank you for being on the podcast too. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much for having us. Lovely to chat. Thank you. That, that was really, it's kind of really great to hear some of the practical perspectives and then, you know, all that kind of expertise that developed these kind of brilliant, huge scale programs that are making such a difference too. I think my reflection, Sarah, is that there's a, a real recognition from schools, from people who work in schools, from parents and, and the government and policymakers now, the crucial importance of language development and early language development, and, and that it just offers those crucial foundations. And, and perhaps as a you know, one of the positives to glean out of the last year and the impacts of the pandemic is that recognition. Um, and we've just shone a light on it and, and the great practice that's happening at the moment. For me, the kind of key take-homes are that um, the genuine difference supporting children's language development can have on children's learning and, and future development, um, and that structured, explicit approaches that teach language can make that difference, but that won't be the only thing that makes a difference. We also need... Um, to support practitioners to scaffold and enhance children's language through conversations. Um, and I think Rebecca mentioned one of the cool resources that we have that um, highlights some implicit approaches for supporting language development. That's included in our Key Stage 1 guidance report, but it's also available as a standalone resource alongside our early years language thing. So there's lots of kind of cool sentence starters for supporting those implicit approaches. Um, and hopefully um, we can evidence that that could work through a CPD programme like Learning Language and Love Innate. Um, and I think that's re reflected in the appetite for schools for, for Nelly. Over six and a half thousand schools registered to receive that this year. And I don't think it's just because it was funded. I, I think people are recognising that they want that support for those children and, and respect that it's, it's an evidenced solution for supporting language. Um, so there's lots of support out there. Um, the communication trust that has been looked after by ICANN now have lots of tools um, and those are kind of flagged in our um, Key Stage 1 
literacy guidance uh, and we're looking to update our key stage two literacy guidance because um, that's not been updated for a while and, and we'll be keen to kind of reflect how um, language should, should be supported through the primary school. Yeah, brilliant. And if you've not, if as a listener, you've not already um, devoured our series, our, our previous podcast was on reading comprehension um, and it really fits hand in glove with, with this podcast too. Uh, and, and the focus on oral language being at the foundation of development really come through from um, so many experts and brilliant practitioners too. So yeah, more podcasts, there's great guidance, there's great programs. I think uh, literacy and supporting children's early language is an area that's really well supported. So, so really encourage people uh, to, to get looking and look on the EF website for that support. Um, and then as a last note, do subscribe, sign up, to the podcast um, and, and keep on um, coming along and, and hearing from those experts and, and, and brilliant practitioners in the classroom who are bringing this evidence to life. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah, for coming along. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Alex.